The title of the sermon is Until the King Returns. Until the King Returns. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. As I heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, Therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five, five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not reap deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can draw closer to you as we understand you more through your word. We pray that you would speak to our hearts in all the different circumstances we're going through. We pray that you would meet us with your word and uh, that your spirit would minister uh, through the word of God, speak to us in such a way that we would hear your voice and know what it is that you desire of us today and how you draw, desire to draw close, closer to us. Thank you, Lord, that we can have this opportunity to be glorified through this time in your church. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it's Pretty hard to believe that we're already at this point in the semester where um, uh, for the students, finals are here and uh, just around the corner. That must be time for many of you. Um, one of the ways that we try to encourage our students during this time is through a care package and uh, still trying to figure out exactly how we can do that, uh, maybe a virtual care package, virtual snacks or something, and uh, we'll figure something out, a way to encourage our students. Um, and uh, 
So because our students are going through those things, please uh, let's be together in one mind and pray for our students. And then um, in terms of our church schedule, we'll meet for small group this coming week, this week. And then we'll take a two-week break uh, for finals. And then we'll resume with the same small groups uh, the week after that. And, um, so uh, what, the, what our church looks like over the summer, especially now that we're doing it this way, I don't know if there'd be much changes. We'll see how it is as we move forward with our, in terms of our summer programming. Um, just... Uh, wanted to look at this passage and kind of, uh, is it going in and out? Because we've been kind of um, uh, going back and forth in Luke. We actually saw the passage right after this passage on Palm Sunday. Right after this passage is when Jesus enters Jerusalem, his triumphal entry as he approaches his final week on earth. And uh, before that, he's been teaching about the kingdom of God. And uh, so in that context, we want to kind of bring this together um, in light of what we've been talking about the past few weeks. Okay, so uh, first, um, engage in business. We'll talk about three things. First, engage in business. Luke chapter 19, verse 11. Uh, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Okay, so Jesus had been teaching about the kingdom of God. And now he's approaching Jerusalem where he will soon guarantee the final kingdom through his death and resurrection. And those who follow Jesus saw Jesus validate his teaching through these great miracles that he was performing. And those miracles, such as healing the sick or raising the dead, were intended to show how Jesus had come to reverse the curse of sin, ultimately through his death and resurrection. But as we've been talking about, the people expected that Jesus would use that very power that he's been demonstrating to overthrow the existing government and set up his kingdom immediately. And even the disciples who were with him believed that, and that's why they were having these side conversations here and there, arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God, the soon-to-be-established kingdom of God. And knowing these things, knowing that that was on their minds, Jesus now tells this parable to give them a long-term investment perspective as they prepare for the kingdom of God. Verse 12, he said, Therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. So in this parable, this person is leaving as a nobleman, and he will return as a king. So I guess what's going on is he's going away to meet with some higher authority to be made king, and then he will return to the same land to rule as king. Now, of course, that's exactly what Jesus will do. Just as in this parable, Jesus will, 
after his death and resurrection, Jesus will go away for a while and then come back at some point in the future to reign as king. So this parable is about in that time period after his departure and, bef- and, uh, and then in between that time and his return, how the servants of Jesus should be living while Jesus is gone as they await his return. Verse 13, calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas. Said to them, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him, sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. So he gave 10 minas to 10 servants. So I guess uh, every servant got one, one mina. And one mina was, was a good sum of money, about three months uh, wage. So the nobleman entrusts his servants and says, use this money, engage in business until I come. Now this story also contains these people, it says, who hated the nobleman, who didn't want to be under his reign. So this parable contains the servants and enemies of the returning king. So in that context, maybe we can say that Amina represents the salvation business of God. The returning king entrusts his servants with this task of of growing the business and getting things ready for his return. It's also fitting that uh, the passage just before this is the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus says to Zacchaeus, okay, so servants, the servants of the king and and then these uh, citizens who hate the king. So in that context, talking about how the mina may represent uh, the salvation business of God, how the king entrusts the servants with this task of growing this business, this salvation business, and getting things ready for uh, the the king's return. And uh, going along that line of thought, um, it's fitting because the passage just before this is the story of Zacchaeus, where Jesus says to Zacchaeus in In verse 9, today salvation has come to this house, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So talking about salvation, the salvation of Zacchaeus, and then right after that is this parable. Verse 11, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Okay, so as he's talking about salvation, as he's talking about the, the, the task of you know, entrusting things to the servant. And in the context of salvation, he tells them this parable. And then this very parable ends in verse 27, as it says, but but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So the context of this parable seems to be those who trust in Jesus and are saved and those who are not saved meaning that between Jesus' death and resurrection and then his second coming, his servants are to serve the coming king by doing things that that moves his salvation business forward. So those are the the, the components, the the, the characters involved in this parable. The the king who, who, 
who, who departs and will come to reign, entrusting this task, these minas to his servants. And then there are these uh, enemies and uh, the context is salvation. And so he's telling his servants to, to do my work, serve me, do my work, move this salvation business forward and entrust them with that task. I think this parable applies well to us today because we've been looking at texts in recent weeks that tell us to prepare for Jesus' return in the end. We've been talking about that. And when we think about Jesus' return, we have this tendency to have a short-term perspective, right? We ask questions like, why should I then even study? Or why should I go to work? Like, what value is there in the common daily things of life the things that we're doing in this world today, right? If Jesus is going to come back and, and I'm supposed to be living for the next world, what value are the, uh, is there in the things that I'm supposed to be doing today? And to that thought, Jesus says, preparing for his coming also means being faithful with what we've been given, what we've been entrusted to do today, even if his coming is not immediate. To the disciples who thought the kingdom is supposed to be established immediately, Jesus says, no, think long term. Invest with your life, with what you've been given, to be faithful to do what you're supposed to do in this life. And that's the same charge to us today. That's why there's value in, in daily faithfulness and what we're called to do, doing God's kingdom work. So Jesus tells this parable to say, even though you don't know when the kingdom of God is ultimately coming to be ultimately fulfilled. In the end, we have to live for him today, moving God's business forward with whatever time we've been given. Engage in business. Engage in God's kingdom business. Secondly, when he returned. When he returned. Verse 15. When he returned, having received the kingdom... He ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. So when he returned, so now there's a, a big time lapse here. The parable jumps forward to when he returns. And when he comes back, uh, he had the kingdom, right? As expected, now he's king which means he has the authority to either reward or punish these servants. Verse 16, the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. He said to him, well done, good servant, because you've been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. So the king now rewards this fruitful servant according to what he has done. Gives him ten cities. Now, we have to recognize that this was a very gracious and generous reward because if this was purely a business decision for taking one mina and returning ten minas more, the king should have given the servant probably a, a portion or a cut of the profit. Maybe two or three minas would have been fair. But he doesn't just do that. He gives him charge over ten cities. So it turns out that this king is a very generous, gracious king. He's gracious in his character, rewarding with much more than deserved. 
And this parable through this is telling us that that's exactly what God is like. Our reward for faithful service will be much greater than what we deserve. The reward will be proportional to what we've done, but will be immeasurably more than what we deserve for what we've done. Because the king is a person of much grace. Because he's so generous in his character, those servants who are rewarded are left wondering, what in the world did I do to deserve this? Because it will not be based on what I deserved. That reward will be an act of grace. Verse 18, and the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. He said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Again, there's a difference in the reward. The reward is according to their fruitful deeds. Now, this might be a good place to mention that this parable is obviously very similar to the parable of the talents that we see in Matthew chapter 25. Even though they're similar, there are differences. In the parable of the talents, if you remember, the servants are entrusted with different number of talents, right? five, two, one, uh, entrusted with different number, and then they yield different number of talents, but the reward is the same. Well done, good and faithful servant, are the words spoken to both the five and two ta talent servants. So the point of that parable, the parable of talents, is faithfulness. Be faithful with whatever talents you've been given. But here in the parable of the minas, each received the same, one mina, but produced different minas, so the reward was different. So the point in Luke's parable seems to be that the reward will be according to your faithfulness. Yes, be faithful. As you're faithful, you will be re rewarded according to what you have done. And that reward is different. I remember one time in college, back in college, I had a friend uh, who was very smart and, uh, and uh, he achieved a lot of academic honors and uh, eventually became a pastor. I remember one time in college, he was invited to some very prestigious award ceremony, uh, part of his department, something like that. And, and uh, if I remember correctly, I think he went to the ceremony because he was nominated for something, for some reward, but then he didn't end up winning anything. And afterwards, he was telling me about this experience of sitting there when all these different people were being called up and being applauded and, and recognized for this and that achievement and so on. And he shared with me about that experience, and he said that it felt like God was telling him through that that this is what it will be like in the end, that there will be another award ceremony in the end at the end of each, each one of our lives. And God was assuring him that he is to live his life, not to be recognized in this world, but to be rewarded in that final award ceremony. And that's what Jesus is saying here through this parable. When the king returns, we will be rewarded according to what we've done. So we must live our lives today with the return of the king as a reality in our minds, 
seeking to be rewarded according to what we have done. When the king returned, lastly, finally, here is your mina. Verse 20. Then another came, the third servant, then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, you reap what you did not sow. So now this third servant comes and he pulls out his handkerchief. And in the handkerchief is the same mina that the king gave him before he left. He did nothing with it and he produced no profit. Now from a business perspective, um, what happened here, the result of was the same as if the king did not give this mina to the servant. Actually, the result is worse for the king because the king could have given it to someone else who would have done something with it and yielded a profit with it. And the servant's excuse was, he says, I was afraid because you are a severe man. I didn't do anything because I didn't want to lose it. Because I know how you value even one mina. I didn't want to do anything to risk that because you're a severe man. And so I kept it safe and here it is. Verse 22, he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. So the king here isn't necessarily agreeing with the servant's evaluation of him, but just using the servant's words to prove his point. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming, I might have collected it with interest? So the king's point is, if that's really what you thought, right, that I value every minute, if that's really what you thought, then at the very least, you could have put it in the bank, which would have yielded interest. So basically, he's proving that the servant was just lazy. He was wicked. He was lazy. This guy obviously did something with his time while the king was gone. Whatever he did, he didn't get involved in the king's business. And he's basically saying this now as an excuse for his laziness. It's interesting here that the servant's evaluation of the king is that he's a severe man. That's really how he saw the king. Um, even though in reality, the king was so gracious in his nature. The king proved that he's, uh, his, his, he proved his overwhelmingly gracious nature through the reward that he gave to the first two servants. So obviously the way that this third servant saw the king was inaccurate. And I think uh, that's really how it is even in the church today. I mean, think about it. Some people really love to serve God. I mean, there are people like that, right, in the church. Like we know people. Like, there's been some people who really love to serve God. While at the same time, there's some people who are so reluctant to serve God. Some people have the attitude of like, I just have to serve God. There's no other way that I want to live my life. 
And they're so filled with a desire to serve God. And they, as they serve God, they get such overwhelming joy by serving God, by living for God. While some people feel burdened to serve God. It's like God is this severe person who's making me serve him. Feeling like that, like I feel like God is making me do this, keeping me actually from doing the things that I really want to do with my life. And why is there that difference? The difference really lies in the way that we see God. For one, it's a burdensome duty. For another, it's not duty but delight. The grace of God, the the nature of God, the God that I know The grace of God compels my heart to want to serve God and to actually feel joyful as I serve God. Verse 24, and he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him, give it to the one who has ten minas. They said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So the more faithful you are, more will be entrusted to you. And then he says in verse 27, And as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. The king, so this is how the parable ends. The king slaughters, upon his return, he slaughters his enemies. Those who did not want to follow the king ends up dead in this parable. And so, I mean, think about this. This is actually in the Bible. This teaching is actually in the Bible. This is, I mean, to say that this is what will happen in the end to those who who don't trust in Jesus. And, um, I mean, like, it's so easy for us to kind of, like, overlook it and maybe draw other parts draw from other parts of the parable, but this parable actually ends like this, with people being slaughtered in the end. Um, Now, in that context, we can ask ourselves, what happened to the third servant? Because think about this. In the beginning of this parable, when the nobleman, not yet king, the nobleman departed, seems like there are two groups of people in the beginning, right? There are the servants who were given the minas and then the people who hated the king. Those are the two types of people. The servants who were given the minas and then the people who hated the king. In the end of the parable, after the king returned, there's still two groups of people, but this time it's the servants who delighted in serving the king and then the enemies who hated the king. So, which group does the third servant fall into? Because there is no third category here in this parable, right? There's no third category that we see for the ones who did nothing with the mina. It seems like that guy, that that third servant, it seems like that guy ends up with the enemies uh, who got slaughtered. So now, that kind of made me ask this question. Like, does that mean that if you're reluctant to serve God, that 
Like, is this parable teaching that if for someone who is reluctant to serve God, that that person's going to go to hell? Right? Like, that's kind of the, the equivalent, how, kind of the equivalent of being slaughtered by the king at the end, right? So is that what that means? Um, it might be too harsh to phrase it like that because it's not, you know, black and white like that. But I think what we can draw from this, what it does mean is that the desire to serve God is a proof of salvation. The ones who truly know God, in the parable, that's how it works, right? The ones who truly know God and know his character will want to serve him. And the ones who want to serve God prove that they know him. Um, when we read, you know, this parable, we tend to think, I mean, I, I tend to think like this. We tend to think that these first two servants were the exceptions. Like, they're the exceptional ones, right? Like, we think that the, the servants of God who hear the words at the end of their lives, well done, good and faithful servant. We think they're really the exceptional ones, like the, the ones who gave their lives to serve God in the mission field and, and were martyrs for Christ and, and led crusades and, and did all these great things for God. They're the ones that are going to go to heaven and receive the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Like as if those words are reserved for like the, the top servants of God. And we think... You know, because it's kind of like that, like I'll just be the normal servants of God. Uh, the, the majority of the servants of God who, who kind of like scrape, like barely scrape into heaven. And not necessarily well done, good and faithful servant, but like you just, you still made it there. But whether it's the parable of the talents or this parable, like there are no other options. It's either well done, good and faithful servant, or you wicked servant, right? Um, it's those, those are the two greetings by the returning king, and then the wicked one gets punished. In other words, we don't get to live our lives how we want to. Right, Like the time that we have in between the death and resurrection and the return of the king, we don't get to just live our lives how we want to, being the king of our lives, and then expect to be awarded in heaven at the end. It doesn't seem to work like that. Those who know the gracious God, those who truly know the gracious God, will serve God's kingdom business and, uh, and it will be those servants who will be met with the words, well done, good and faithful servant and will be rewarded in the end. Um, you know, just thinking about this text and, and uh, different passages that we've been looking at more recently, I think we're often like the disciples in that, you know, the disciples, they saw Jesus do these miracles, they followed him, and they had certain expectations of what 
their lives would be like as they follow Jesus, right? They wanted Jesus and expected Jesus to establish his kingdom with that power right away. They wanted the easy, the quick and easy kingdom, and they wanted to benefit from the quick and easy kingdom. And we're just like that. We want to benefit from God's power to basically serve the, the imaginary kingdom that we have in our minds of what it means to be a Christian in this world following Je Jesus. The quick and easy way of, of following God, living for God, and being a Christian in this world. But Jesus says, through this parable, other passages, he's saying it's going to be a while before this kingdom is fully established. And in the meantime, the journey will be hard and there's work to do. So for us, it means we should be faithful in the situations that we've been placed. These days, you wake up, you work, you study, you stare at a screen, you get tired, you stare at the screen some more. And it's so mundane because there isn't much variety to my day. I can't really go out freely, see people, hang out with the people I enjoy hanging out with, go places, do the things I enjoy. But we still need to ask ourselves, how does God want me to invest my time today? What does it mean to, to invest well in the opportunities that God is giving me today. What should I be doing now that God would consider me to have been faithful during this quarantine period? And that's the task that God has given us as the servants of God. And still, whatever, different ways, invest in my kingdom business, live for me today, through all the ups and downs, the different circumstances and this long journey that we'll go through, and it's a very peculiar circumstance we might be in right now. But the calling is still the same, to be a faithful servant in this, in this uh, quarantine time. Um, I discovered uh, last week that our van had a uh, nail in the tire, so I had to get it fixed. So I went to Sam's Club this week to get it fixed. So while I was there, I texted Chris Christine. I said, hey, do you want me to get something while I'm here? She goes, bananas. And then, and then she says, and boneless chicken thighs if they have it. I couldn't find boneless chicken thighs at Costco in forever. So I responded, I can get simple things like milk or eggs, but I don't know how to buy those complex items. Because to me, like, that's a lot of conditions, right? Like boneless chicken thighs. It's not just chicken. She says just grab some chicken. I guess I can identify chicken and buy some chicken, but it's like not just chicken, but it's got to be boneless chicken. Not just boneless chicken, but it's got to be boneless chicken thighs. And like trying to process that, especially like at a grocery store or something like that, among all these different items, is very difficult for me. My brain goes into overload, can't handle all those conditions. 
so I said, like, it's just complicated. I don't know if I can do this. And then she responds. She goes, just go to the chicken aisle and read it. She goes, if it says boneless chicken thighs, buy it. And then she put boneless chicken thighs in all caps, right? Boneless, if you see boneless chicken thighs, buy it. And then she goes, bananas are yellow. <laughs> it is usually by all the fruits. So I'm like trying to figure out like how I'm going to do this. And then if that wasn't hard enough, she adds to the workload. Actually, if you can buy one package of eggs, that would be great too. Okay, so like there are three different items, all these different conditions. And uh, so I had this huge task before me. Um, but as the tire was getting fixed, I went. I got it done. Got the tire fixed. Got the items. Accomplished the mission. Came back home. But when I got home, she calls me to the kitchen. <laughs> holding up the chicken package. <laughs> and uh, and she goes, uh, um, you see what it says here? Because I actually came back with not boneless chicken thighs, I guess, but I, get, I came back with boneless chicken breasts. Not exactly the item that she wanted. I, I, again, and I, you know, I try to tell her, like, this is exactly why I said I couldn't do it. It's just like too many things to process. I think that kind of, that experience kind of, in some ways kind of captures my whole life. Because I feel like in some ways, I feel like my whole life is a list of these overwhelming tasks. And I feel like I'm getting it wrong all the time, right? Trying to be a good husband, a good parent, like so many different things to do, to be a good parent, trying to be a good pastor, trying to be a good Christian. And a lot of times feeling like I'm failing in all different categories. But even though a lot of times I feel like the task is impossible, still I'm thankful that I don't feel a burden to these tasks. I actually feel more burden going to the grocery store with a list of items than actually with this calling to do these impossible tasks as a husband or a parent or pastor or as a Christian. For some mysterious reason, God allows me, as I draw near to him and depend on him, for some mysterious reason, God allows me to, to feel a, a, a sense of joy even as I seek to be faithful in all these impossible tasks. And I think we can safely say that it's because he is a gracious king. He's a gracious king who actually accomplished these tasks already on our behalf through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And his spirit lives in us and as we give ourselves to him, he lives through us to do his work through our lives.
not only that, but he actually rewards us for those very tasks that he empowers us to do by his grace as we seek to serve him in our lives. And I think that's the, the narrative of the Christian's life, that we have an impossible task and calling ahead of us, before us, and it in one sense can feel like a burden or seem like a burden, but it actually is not because there is a mysterious power given to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would, we would cherish that, go to the Lord because that is the promise and in the strength that he provides, live for the business of God, the calling that we've received to accomplish his salvation story in our lives and through our lives. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that you are mindful of us in uh, all the different things that we're going through today. You know our daily struggles and uh, the challenges that we have, um, but you intentionally place us there to grow our faith and uh, to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ, to, to make us more of your image bearers in this world so that we can make the invisible kingdom known to this world slowly and surely so uh, even through the mundaneness and the loneliness and the different things that we're going through today encourage our hearts help us to know that you are with us and that you are accomplishing a purpose in us and through us through this time and help us to be faithful as we depend on you as we cry out that we need you we pray that you would strengthen our hearts and fuel our hearts by your grace so that we can serve you and delight in living for your glory. May, as we worship you and as we seek you, may all the duties be transformed into delight. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Uh, just wherever you are, let's just uh, close, our, close our eyes and bow our heads before the Lord. And uh, I think this is a really good question to ask right now uh, because usually when we think about serving God, we think about maybe doing things at church, setting up tables, putting away chairs, different tasks that we have at church or, or uh, I don't know, like a lot of different things that we equate to serving God. But like even right now, like what does it mean? Like what does it look like uh, for me to be faithful and to, to do God's kingdom business in the condition that we're in right now. Like, what is it that God wants of me that he would consider me to have been faithful at this stage of life, at this point in what we're going through? Um, so, I mean, I don't know. Like, maybe that means, like, I'm praying for my coworkers every day and um, caring about 
God's work that's going on all over the world through the workers that our church is supporting or um, I'm caring about my brother or sister that is in my small group that that I know is having a difficult time. A um, number of different ways, I think, just the, the, the state of our hearts, ways that if we truly know the Lord, um, it gets manifested in different ways. And so let's just think about that and, and think about how we want to even invest in this co- our, you know, our time and opportunities this coming week. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are sovereign over all the circumstances of our lives, no matter what we're going through. And uh, we thank you that we can trust that you're not putting um, your kingdom work on pause right now. You're not putting your work in our lives, what you're trying to accomplish in our lives on pause. And uh, we're not to put things on pause as well. Help us to be faithful. Pray that you would help us to be near to you. Pray that strength would arise within our hearts through delight and joy and a desire to give ourselves to your kingdom work because you know, uh, because we know who you are and your love compels us. And uh, from that perspective, help us to be faithful. Help us to serve. Help us to live, not for today, but, um, but tomorrow. In the end, for that final award ceremony, when you will reward your good and faithful servants. Strengthen us and help us to be an encouragement to one another in the church, even through this time. Thank you, Lord. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, this love, unchanging, covenant love, unchanging in all circumstances, the love of the Father God and the fellowship and the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit be with you both now and forever. Amen.